Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, and it's not 7 through 12, it's 13 through 20. I, somewhere I missed the... Uh, Missed my text there. But it's uh, it's 13 through 20. Today we're going to finish the book of James. I hope it's been a series that you've enjoyed. It's been a series that that, I hope has challenged you in how you live and challenged you in the way you see life. And today's going to be no different. James doesn't end with a soft goodbye. He ends with a powerful message on prayer. Now, let me just... I think I know the answer, but if you believe that prayer is a powerful tool, would you just say amen? Amen. Yeah, I think everyone in the room would acknowledge prayer has this powerful moment for us. But I think there's there's a piece of prayer we forget as believers. Now, I don't know about this in your life, but there are moments in my life where I would say my prayer life is lopsided. Let me explain that for a moment. Lopsided prayer means I'm continually praying only for the things that impact me. My health, my family, you know, things that that help me. I miss, at times, the things of God. God, would you, would you just show your hand? Would, Would you just... Let me see your glory today. God, you are so good. Let me sing praises unto you. See, sometimes I think we get lopsided there, and that's a problem. For You see, when we look at prayer, we, we know prayer is a powerful tool. But we, are we using that prayer life like we should? If you look at the, the book of Acts, Acts is filled with um, prayers. In fact, there's, there's almost a prayer, if not every chapter has a prayer. In fact, and when we look at that, we see a criteria for prayer. We see this, this, this criteria that the church has in the way it prays. James is going to pick up on that same theme today as he talks about prayer. But let me, let me kind of show you some of the, the things we see in Acts. The first chapter, they prayed for the coming of the Holy Spirit and the power. Look what the text tells us in Acts 1.14. It says, they were all continually united in what church? Prayer. Along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Uh, chapter 2. Uh, they prayed as the foundation of the church, and the church grew. They prayed for the church. They didn't just pray for, for themselves. They prayed for the church. And here's what we see in and, and verse 42 and verse 47 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to what, church? Prayer. Prayer. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Listen, the first church prayed for the Holy Spirit to come and then prayed for God's church to be established. Uh, chapter 3. Uh, they prayed for the Uh, cooperatively in a regular rhythm and for the people were healed. 
They continually plead, prayed for people to be healed. It was, a, it was a moment for the church to gather and pray. Chapter 4. They prayed for boldness when they were persecuted. We see Peter and, James, Peter and John being arrested. And they were told not to speak of Jesus any longer. No, they prayed for boldness to continue. All throughout the book of Acts, the first church in which churches want to model in the 21st century, we see prayer, and prayer was not just, help me, Lord, to get over an illness, but help me be Christ-like. Give me boldness. May your church be glorified. And so as we look at James and we wrap up James, we're going to see that same thing. He's going to give us a criteria, four things in how we should be praying. And, and as we look, the question's got to be asked upon our life is, how well do we do that? How well are we praying? What are we praying? What's our prayer life look like? So if you have your Bibles and you're at James chapter 5, in verses 13 through 20, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. Verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one another, one to another, and pray for each, pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human being as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the land. And when he prayed again, and the skies gave rain, and the land produced its fruit. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You may be seated. Here's your big idea this morning. The big idea is a church that values prayer, sees God's hand at work in the church and in the, in the people's lives. A church that values prayer, sees God's hand at work in the church and in the lives of the people. Now I wanna be honest with you as we look at this text, this is one of the texts that, um, one of the most complicated texts in scripture, not the, because it's been misunderstood. It's been misunderstood in the sense that we, we tend to read this and say this is for people who are sick and need healing. But James is closing out this, this book and that's not been his theme throughout the whole book. Through the whole letter, he's written about people who are suffering and people who are struggling because of persecution, because of their faith. And 
as he closes on prayer, that's still the theme he has. He's not changed his theme. He's not moved. He stayed right where he needs to be. And so this morning, I, I want you to understand this is not just a prayer about sick people, but it's a prayer for the church. So let me show you the four things he, he points out to us. One, the first one is uh, a church that prays is a church for, prays for the suffering. If we're going to be a church that prays, we've got to pray for the suffering. Now, when we look at this verse, we immediately want to stop and think about people who are suffering because they're ill, they've got cancer, they've got some type of problem. But that's not quite the case here. And just like we've said in other texts, when we read the Greek language, in the original language, we realize that not every Western language, not every English word matches up quite the same. In that day and age, a suffering could be that you're dealing with issues, that you've got a sin problem. It could be that you've got a health problem. It could have been, it could have been a number of things. In fact, the, the, some translations will use the word trouble versus suffering. If you are in trouble. In fact, 2 Timothy tells us this. It's the same word here used as, as Paul writes, Timothy. And because I preach this good news, I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Suffering here doesn't mean Paul's not, we know what Paul's going through there. He's in trouble. He's in prison. He's in jail. His suffering is because of mistreatment, not because... He's ill. And so James writes to the church to pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are in trouble. Pray for those who, who need prayer. And they need prayer for a variety of reasons. They're struggling with an issue in their life. They're struggling because of sin. They're struggling because of job. They're struggling because they're persecuted. And so what we find in this verse 13, what we find is there's two things that really point out to us. The first one is simply this, that we're to pray to God when you are hurting. You're to pray to God when you're hurting. I think if I took a poll in this room, people, every one of us would raise our hands and say, we've hurt at some point. You know, we, we get older and our bodies don't do what we used to do. They're a pain. We have knee pains, neck pains, and some of that causes us discomfort. That's hurting. Some of us have had jobs that where things didn't go well. Maybe, maybe people picked on us, or maybe things were said, or maybe, maybe I read an article this morning where somebody has, has accused somebody of something. All that's hurting. We hurt for a variety of reasons. And when we hurt, we should go to God and seek God. We need to find that comfort that comes from God alone. But the other thing in verse 13 tells us is when things are going good, we should praise God when you are what, church? Happy. Happy. Sometimes I think we, I don't know about you, but sometimes I forget this. Because I'm so concerned about when the next problem is going to arise. Things are going good. 
Pastor, how's it going today? Good. Don't tell me any different. I don't want you to ruin this day for me. Uh, you know, that, sometimes that happens. But we should rejoice when those things take place. We should rejoice when we wake up and we look out our window and we see a beautiful sunrise. We should rejoice when we wake up in a few months and see white snow all over the ground and you can't go anywhere. Then you can, then you can pray for suffering if you have kids in the house and you can't get out, okay? Then the suffering comes. Moments of praise. I mean, think about it in your own prayer life. How much do you praise God and how much do you pray to God? Are you lopsided there? Does one tend to take over and one get left out? Are you realizing that the same God who, who comforts you in your hurting is the same God who, who gives you the sunshine and gives you the ability as, as Buddy prayed to get up and enjoy the day? The second thing we see in this text is there's this moment to pray for the sick. Number two, pray for the, the sick. The church ought to have prayers for those who are sick. Now, I want us to be careful here because this whole text is not about the sick. Although in these verses, it wants to, you, your mind wants to go there. But remember, Paul has been writing to the church that has been suffering. And so when you put that in light of what you're reading, look at verse 14 again. For anyone who is sick, he should call for the elders and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen, oil has been around as a medical um, help for years. I mean, they were doing it in, in this day. There was no, to nobody's knowledge, there's no oil that the elders or the pastors or the church leaders were using that was, was anything powerful than what we have today. But, but what it does, it comes and there's this comforting there. We read in Luke Luke's gospel where Jesus is anointed with oil, remember? They're all arguing over the perfume that she's used and, and how expensive it is. And he's looked like, listen, she's anointed my head. You've done nothing for me. Jesus wasn't sick. It was just a, a, a moment of compassion, a moment of help. And so there's this moment that, that James writes about the sick, that if you're sick, you ought to you ought to call. But we get the sense in this text when we talk about the suffering that really there's this person who's sick and the sickness could be a sin problem. Not that sin makes you physically sick. There's no biblical evidence in that regard. But in the sense of you have sin in your heart, there's discipline in the church and you've been moved away and you're unable to come. And so you come to the elders and we'll see in just a second how that plays out. R regardless of, of the issue, there are people who are sick who, who, who physically need healing, who physically are in the hospital and need healing, who have cancer, who have all sorts of things, kidneys shutting down. We need to pray for those. But then there are the sick that have sin issues. They have issues and in, in because of that, they're unwilling to acknowledge that they need a change. That's a sickness. 
You know what scripture teaches and yet you, you decide to do something different. You decide that that sickness is worth living for. In fact, you don't call it a sickness. You call it a freedom. But we need to pray for those individuals. Either way, the church should be remembering those. And in this text, let's be honest, this text is all about believers. He's writing to the church. Only in that one moment does he talk about the lostness and the sinners out there and the way they mistreat them. And so, as a person who is sick, whether it's physical or spiritually, you have to come to a place and realize you need healing. So we find three things in this text, in this, these verses. Uh, the believer is, the, is responsible to ask for healing. It's the believer's job. It's your job and my job. When we realize there's something inside us that separates us from God or there's a physical sickness in our heart, we should, we should ask the church to pray. Over the years, I've had church members who have been very, very private about their, their illnesses. And, and that's certainly their, their call. Um, in fact, uh, we've said this before. Uh, our church doesn't put out anybody's name on a power line or text it out in our power line without consent from the family. Because we, we don't want, if you're a private person, we don't want to send that out. And I've had, I've had church members who, who've gone to the hospital, had major surgery, recovered in the hospital, and come home, and nobody in the church know because they didn't want anybody to know. In fact, from time to time, I've caught that. Maybe somebody in the family let it slip. And I'll show up and I'll say something nice. And a preacher, we don't care that you know, but you don't tell anybody. Yes. And I always honor those wishes. But here's what happens. They miss out on a blessing of people praying for them. They miss out on the church as the body of Christ praying for them. As a church, we should pray for those who are sick, physically and spiritually. If they are a believer and you know that you are physically sick, you should ask. If you know you're spiritually sick, you should ask for prayer. We find in this text the second thing it is the spiritual leaders are responsible for encouraging the weak. Again, James is not writing just about sick people here. It's about suffering. And if you come to a place in your life and you are spiritually sick, you're spiritually struggling, or you're physically sick, the church leaders should be the ones who are encouraging. In fact, it's in this text that we read about the the anointing the head with oil. And so there's something about that that, you know, it's just soothing and comforting and encouraging. Again, there's, there's nothing we read throughout Scripture that there are special powers that the elders have or that there are special powers because the elders do this. But it's more soothing and comforting and encouraging 
when you know people are praying for you, when people are there comforting you. Several years ago, I've told this story before, probably I don't think on a Sunday morning, several years ago in my previous church, there was a community individual who knew our church, came occasionally, wasn't a member. They were at their deathbed, and I received a phone call. The church office asking if I'd come pray over this individual. They, they said, do you have oil? Can you anoint them? Sure, you, you believe in that? Well, yeah, I believe God's got the power to do whatever. I showed up at the house, and it was quite obvious this person's near death. If you've ever, if you've ever been close to somebody at that time, you, you, you know what that looks like and sounds like. And so I began, I took a little oil that I had, and I just kind of began to rub the forehead and say encouraging words, say a Bible verse. I said, would you pray? I said, sure, and I began to pray. God, would you just take this person, let them pass with peace. And it was all of a sudden, in the middle of praying, that the family just shouted, no. We want physical healing to come back. And I paused and shifted gears. And, and Lord, we know that you have the power to make this person get up and walk again. Now, here's the thing. And it's my third point in this text. The Savior is responsible to affect healing. They didn't understand that day that it wasn't anything I could do or that all that I was, was doing that could get that person to get up and walk. What I was trying to do is come and bring comfort to a situation and to a person. Believing with all my heart that God had the power to get the person up and healed. In fact, if they were a believer, which I believe they were, they got ultimate healing because their body was completely restored within a day. It just wasn't on this side of eternity. It's only Jesus who can do that. When the text tells us to call the elders in and anoint them with oil, it's not that they have any special powers to touch and you get up. The apostles were able to do that, but, but in general, it's all Jesus and no one else. Our job is to pray, to encourage, to uplift, and to ask God to do what God does. And so James writes to the church and says, hey, we need to pray for those who are suffering. We, we need to pray for those who are sick, to comfort them, whether it's physically or spiritually. Comfort them, help them come to a knowledge that it's all about Christ. Which leads me to the third thing in this text. Pray for the saved. Pray for the saved. Look at verse 16. It says, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And here's the thing. James is writing to the church who's suffering. These next two verses remind us that he's not just talking about sick. He's talking about 
suffering and sickness and sin and those types of things. Because here's the moment we should be praying for one another. We should be encouraging one another. We should be asking help from one another. In fact, we see a couple things in this text. We see the first thing is the confession is necessary for effective prayer. There comes this moment in our life we've got to confess. We need to confess our sins. We need to come before God and, and say, God, I have messed up. But we also need the help from one another to encourage one another. Not for somebody to go, well, I know what they did. But for someone to get down on their knees and pray that you find strength and encouragement and accountability. The second thing we find is the character is necessary for effective prayer. You have to come to the place in your life to realize you need to confess. And it, it takes a lot. Listen, nobody here wants to acknowledge, hey, I mess up. No one here wants to say, I've got a problem. It takes boldness and faith to realize I need to step out and ask somebody to hold me accountable. Which leads to the third thing we find in this text is conviction is necessary. Conviction. Now, here's why I say we learn in this text this is not just about sick people. But James isn't really talking about sick people. He's, he's talking about those who suffered on a variety of levels. Because if you look at verse 17, he moves to the conversation of Elijah. Elijah was not sick. There's nothing about Elijah in this text that points us to, his, to an illness. It tells us in verse 17, Elijah was a human being and, as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. That's what he prayed. Lord, don't let it rain. And for three years it didn't rain in six months. And then he prayed, open up the heavens. And again, the sky gave way. Elijah, as an example here, that James is using, reminds us that we've got to have conviction when we pray over whatever, over, over suffering, over sickness, over the saved who need to be brought back. We just have to have conviction that God can work in all situations. And so the thing is, James is saying, pray for the suffering, pray for the sick, and then pray for those who are saved. Because the reality is, those who are saved, we mess up. Turn and look at your neighbor and tell them, you mess up. Go ahead, that's your part. Yeah, see, y'all don't want to do that. Why? Because we're afraid. We don't want to, if we, if we tell them they mess up, they're going to turn right back at us and say, well, you mess up too. Right? We are all sinners. Each one of us. And when you come to know faith in Christ, it's not that you automatically come to a place where you're no longer going to mess up. You're going to get up every morning and still be a sinner. The only difference is you're saved by grace. And it's that grace that gets you through the day. And so we have to have the conviction to realize what that looks like. Which leads James to the closing verses, which is, I think are appropriate for how he closes his letter. We've got to pray for the strayed. Pray for the strayed. He says, my brothers and sisters, if any among you stray from the truth... 
and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and have covered a multitude of sins. Listen. If you've ever known somebody who came to faith in Christ and Jesus and was on fire for the Lord and at some point in their life they begin to, to, to take a, a turn. We need to pray for that person. Oh, that turn may be a long turn. Let me, but we need to pray. We need to pray that there are people in that person's life who will help them come back. Because we know that the truth of the scripture tells us that if they know the truth, they can return. They can be forgiven. They can come back. So there's a part of the church that needs to pray for those who strayed. Listen, there are people in our church, on our church rows who strayed. And we need to be praying for them. That the Lord will intervene, that the Lord will shake them, that the Lord will, will bring them to their knees. However that needs to be, but for that person to come to a point in their life to know they need Jesus, they need to be following what Scripture teaches. So James ends his letter telling about how prayer needs to be in the church. We need to pray for the sick. We need to pray for the suffering. We need to pray for the saved. And we need to pray for the, those who've strayed. Four elements of prayer. The question for us today is, how well do we pray in those regards? Do we pray lopsided prayers in that we're really just praying for the sick and we're missing the other three? Or are we seeking as a church to pray boldly in all regards. When I was in high school, I uh, had a, <laughs> Elizabethtown was a lot like Glasgow. Uh, if you grew up in Glasgow, you know the story, or know about this. When I was in high school, uh, cruising was a big deal. Uh, we cruised all over Elizabethtown, around different places. In Glasgow, you cruised around the McDonald's. And up the hill. And I know that because I, I came over to Glasgow one night as a high school student. Drove to Glasgow. Didn't tell my parents. Um, if they're watching. Sorry. Um, Statue of limitations is up. Um, I came over and cruised around the McDonald's and up the hill here. And, you know, it's just one of those things. But I remember one Sunday afternoon, I was, I was in Elizabethtown cruising. And if you've been to E-Town, maybe at Christmas in the park, you, you know we have that, they have that park there. And I was in the park cruising and realized there was something wrong with my car. Didn't quite know what it was. Something wasn't just right. So I thought, well, I made my lap. Didn't see anybody. So I better make my way home. I guess if I'd have seen somebody, I'm not sure what I'd have done. But anyways, I make my way back home. And about five miles from my house, I'm riding down the road and all of a sudden, my left rear tire comes off and passes me down the road. That may surprise you. You can drive your car on three tires. I don't suggest it. But that car hit the ground and I was got two hands on the wheel and was steering that thing and drove
just a little further in the driveway and parked it. Get out and go find my tire. Can't find the lug nuts for it. So I called my father and said, hey, you're going to have to come. I've lost a wheel. Jack my car back up. Bring some lug nuts. But I don't suggest you today. I mean, this is not something I think you ought to go home and try. I don't think you ought to take a wheel off your car. I think it works better when there's all four. If you do it with three, it's a little lopsided. I've seen videos of people do it with two. Again, but that's not how a car should function. That's not how a car should, should act. They need all four. A healthy church needs to be praying in all four of these areas. We need to be praying for those who suffer of all sorts of things. Those who are sick. Those who are saved. We need to pray and encourage one another. Listen, you can pray for somebody and, not, and then not have anything wrong with them. Do you realize that? You can pray for your Sunday school class and they're all, all healthy and praise the Lord. Pray for them. And then we need to pray for those that we know have, have taken that turn and we need to the Lord to bring them back. And maybe the Lord will place it on your heart, something that you can encourage them to bring them back. But the church functions a whole lot better when the church prays in those four areas. Otherwise, you'd be like me in that car, riding lopsided. You can do it. It's not good. It's not the best way. But it can be done. I think as a church, if we do all four, we'll see God do amazing things. Here's the thing this morning. For our hymn of invitation, I'm just going to ask you right where you are, would you just pray? You and God have to have a conversation about how you are praying. There's some of you in this room that I know are praying for one another and you're, you're praying for the sick. And maybe you're hitting all four and at this moment, God's leading you to pray specifically in an area about someone or something. You do that. Maybe you're here and, and you're, you're lopsided in your prayer life. You've been driving a long time lopsided and you realize today you need to get that right. Right there in the pew, would you just tell God you're sorry that you've You've missed out on all the blessings that prayer can be. Would you just start praying in the other areas? Maybe there's a decision on your heart. Maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Whatever the case may be, would you just respond to the Father today in this moment? Father.